In order for shame to be rendered powerless in our lives, we must be witnessed. We must be seen. Your gifting is going to seem like things that are just very obvious. They're going to seem like, well, everybody can be this welcoming. Everybody can see that moment where I just saw it. It's going to feel like anybody could do it. And that's what makes it your gifting. Watch how people avoid the face of somebody in need or asking who makes you uncomfortable. Every one of those faces reveal God. We have to remember our past and recount the things that God has done for us. And then that gives us faith to keep going to where he wants us to be. Hey guys, welcome back to the Anthons Podcast. I'm Blaine. And I'm Sam. And we are both doing super great all the time. Yeah. In case you were wondering. I know you were. Now, Blaine's all teed up because we just had a very honest self-assessment, um, particularly on on my end, of what feels like the, the normal threshold of being able to carry things. You know, if that goes from zero to ten— I was just naming to him that I think my like capacity is about a three these days for a variety of reasons. For it being, you know, day three hundred and eighty something of living in a COVID world here in Colorado, and all of the implications and sacrifices and lockdowns and opinions and sides and um, part of that being this moment in time. Part of that being all of the things that I seem to be carrying, and I know that I'm not alone in that feeling like a lot. Yes, it is the elephant in the room in this season. Whatever else we're going to talk about, I first need to say, man, life is taking a lot of effort. Mm. The sum total opposition is exhausting. Human, situational, circumstantial, spiritual, all those things playing together just go, whew. So when I listen to any of the podcasts that I listen to, mm-hmm. I want the hosts to go, oh my gosh. Okay. Now that that's been, I, now that we've named that, now that we've pointed out that, you know, that gorilla is named Francisco and he's, yeah, he's oh, alarming, yeah? but Fred- probably that's okay. <laughs> what? I switched from elephant in the room to gorilla in the There's room. There's a gorilla in the room and the gorilla is named Francisco and... Francisco is... I'd be way more freaked out about a gorilla in a room than an elephant in a room, no matter what no, the size of the room. for sure. That's true. Um, but yeah, there's this like assumption that like, I, I was naming, I'm, I'm good until I'm not. I'm good until you put even like a little bit more tension on the screws or ask like a few more things. And then I realized that, that I don't have capacity for those things. I just don't. There's not, there's not space. And so, you know, in classic uh, New and Sons fashion, rather than pretending to be like, hey, you guys, we're great. A, we live in Colorado, so that gives us a leg up on everybody that doesn't. B, uh, it's springtime here in the Northern Hemisphere, so that gives us another leg up on everybody that uh, is in the Southern Hemisphere. Let's see. C, we're young and we work for and Sons, therefore, we're awesome. So basically, we're at 100%. And now we get to offer you wisdom from the top of the mountain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, mm, no. I don't have the energy to climb the mountain today <laughs> thank, to dispense the wisdom. Thank God that it is spring. Thank God that there is green and vi- more vitamin D to be absorbed in a given day. And also, I my, my normal is limping down the hallway at 2 in the morning to help a 
one of my kids who's freaked out or wet the bed and I'm limping because I hurt my foot and I don't know how and I don't have time to really address how or why. And then my assessment is, I'm fine. Yeah, that was just a night. That's not, that wasn't even a bad night. That was just a night. It's just the way these days. And so, welcome back to the Incense Podcast. That's Francisco, I guess. (laughs) I can already see the t-shirt. Today, we're actually talking about a conversation that we've had scheduled for a while, and it's just really hard to get around to it, which I think is sort of ironic because the conversation is on inconvenience, and our uh, team sort of gets a crack out of every time we have to postpone it. But we were in a meeting, gosh, I don't know, a hundred years ago. Yeah. And Padre offered— be the Roaring Twenties, by the way, so that would be cool. Oh, there you go. Break out your flapper dress. (laughs) If— if I can go back to the Roaring Twenties and remember that meeting we were having with Padre, he offered this aside on somebody needs to go track down the data trend on when we started making dogs smaller and smaller, when we started breeding them uh, for convenience. Now, somebody might say, hey, Jack Russell Terriers, they weren't bred for convenience. They were bred to be insanely brave and to go chase badgers down holes and yeah. Those, those things are crazy. There are a lot of small dogs, though, that have that same origin story. And it's like, it can't be that every small dog was <laughs> bred to chase badgers. <laughs> but, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they, they can't all possibly be warrior dogs. And we know Mastiffs uh, certainly were. But his little— Irish wolfhounds. His aside in a meeting that had nothing to do with dogs really pinged something for you and I. Like, we just made eye contact and we're like, wait, wait, wait. Now, we actually haven't done the research, and so we're sort of putting that in your lap there, listener. But it triggered something of there is the the natural human direction towards convenience and not wanting to be inconvenienced. And part of that is survival, trying to make things easier. And I wouldn't say that convenience is necessarily a bad thing. I liked that we had a car to get in today because it was raining and I got to be driven the four miles to work dry and dropped off without really expending a single calorie of my own energy. That was a great convenience. Oh, well, at the same time, there's a drive to escape inconvenience. There is a simultaneous shift in what counts as an inconvenience. Mm. Like, Do you have any things that people get annoyed by that you don't notice? No. (laughs) I've got one off the top of my head. I know you do too. Wait, about me? Or do you have one of yourself? Because you can't name one about me. (laughs) Something that you don't notice that everyone hates. This, I didn't ask No, I mean it's environmental. I mean, I don't mean like… Give me, go ahead. What is it? Give me, tell me more because I'm confused. I don't care about getting rained on. It doesn't bother me at all. Oh, that's weird. And it's it's a thing that… Your body's trying to kill you because it gets you, like, sick? <laughs> Many ancient humans would be on my side oh. when it comes to, like, like… Not care about the rain. It'd be like, you know what? Rain can definitely have a negative overall physical impact, body temp and all that. Yeah. <laughs> but that also… <laughs> that's not a given. You can… It's sort of the Wim Hof thing where… It doesn't need to affect you in the way that it does. So we have this flight from inconvenience while simultaneously categorizing more and more things as inconvenient. Right. Yeah. But there's a flip side to this. 
Well, which we're sort of guilty of as well, right? Like this is the thing that I was, we were having a conversation uh, with a guy here later that, that really began to like help polarize this conversation for me. And then, you know, into which we can now have this podcast. He was doing some work on a bathroom and he was doing it himself. It had not gone the way that he had expected it to which I sort of feel like every listener now can begin chuckling and nodding their heads. But he's, he said at the beginning, he needed to renovate one of the bathrooms in his house. There was molds, there was water damage. Like he, It was a gut. And he, he said to me, I have hands. Like, how hard can this be? YouTube exists. And there's an extent to which I think the Ann Sons Become Good Soil, Wild at Heart Culture has this push, especially for younger men, men in their 40s, 30s, and 20s to go, hey, don't always outsource things. Don't always skip through what could be initiation and and, and have somebody else come and solve your problem because you're going to end up feeling like a very uninitiated man by the time you realize you've been avoiding that your whole life. That might happen in your 20s. That might happen in your 30s or, or later. And for this guy, it was like, yeah, okay, so here's a water-damaged bathroom. I'm going to jump into it. And it took him, I think, six months, seven months to like work through each little piece And it, because he's not an expert. And th- this could have been my story. And th- this is my story with a bunch of other projects. But in this particular one, it thankfully wasn't me. All of the trips back to the hardware store because he didn't know everything he needed as he began any single stage and all of the the hassle, the frustration, the needing to do things over again. And as he would share parts of this project to me, I'm like, this is so good. And I think we could have falsely lured you into doing this project without God and without it being initiating because we have a cultural undertone of that's always the right thing to do. It's always right to try and fix it yourself. And around that same time, I had just hired out a guy to come and help me fix some of my sprinklers because I've had the house for five years. I've been fixing the sprinklers every summer. And by fixing, I mean sort of kind of cutting up my hands and digging holes in my yard and maybe making it better in an incremental way for a little bit before it deteriorates and half my yard dies. And it like hit this point for me in that world where I was like, "I, I think I have left behind the space where I need to be the one to solve all this and I need to be okay with bringing in somebody else who can do this and it's not my failure. So in this spectrum, we have small dogs, the flight from inconvenience, and the the temptation to sort of bullheadedly try and do everything ourselves, whether or not we're meant to or yes. whether or not we're going to be initiated in the process. That's so good. DIYing and independence is not the same as initiation. Right. Returning to inconvenience, I don't know how dogs got smaller. Oh, they got smaller because of breeding. Yeah. yeah. Uh, funny. <laughs> I don't know when that happened and what the, like, the driving cultural motives yeah, were. The first one probably wasn't imagining a woman putting a dog into a purse and getting on an airplane. Yeah. I was traveling recently and 
there was a woman who had a small dog in a baby carrier. And I noticed because it's the same baby carrier that I use, which is a very good one. Mm-hmm. And I I didn't even know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> you still don't know what I to do. I should have done what the guy next to me did, which was take out his phone and surreptitiously take a photo. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just like, some things you don't know what to do with at the moment, so you just take a reference photo. And are like, yeah. I don't know and what And then I ask feel. the internet what it thinks Be later. Like, what do you, tell me how I feel. There is an impulse towards sterility that is fascinating. And I think is one of the best places to see the flight from inconvenience. For example, we like cats and dogs. We do not like— Well, you like, don't like cats. <laughs> uh, I don't like cats that don't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> Lazy hippie cats. I <laughs> cats like me for for sure the majority of my life. I don't like cats that are like eating mice in barns or something such, mm. being the solitary predators that they're supposed to be. But we as a culture like cats and dogs. Yeah, but we don't like cats and dogs that have babies. And in fact, you can do some internet searching on the number of neighborhood spats that develop over non-spayed or neutered cats and dogs. And Mm. it's like, okay, we want a dog, but we don't want a dog that can have babies because that makes problems. And in fact, we don't really want a dog that sheds fur either. So maybe we can breed that trait out. And in fact, we don't want a dog that needs the kinds of social interaction that those animals were designed by God to have. So let's see if we can make dogs that are pretty fine sitting on the couch all day waiting for a euphoric 11 seconds of playtime after which you're like, okay, sit down, sit down, Fido. Jeez, I just got home from work. I need something to go. Do you know the flip side of the flight from inconvenience is always some crazy statistic of death, I think. So to go, just take a wild guess of how many cats and dogs a minute are euthanized in the U.S. So, like, in the next 60 seconds. Wow. I, um, until you asked me the question, I would have assumed none. I don't know, because I'm a— But let's say 10? Yeah, that's about right. Uh, wow. A minute. Somewhere from 6 to 10 a minute. So, like— So, let's just do that in a day, then, right? That's— 10 a minute times 60 minutes in one hour times 24 hours in one day. So 10 times 60 times 24. 14,400. Yeah, that probably checks out. Because I know that of dogs alone, take out the cats and it ends up being about 600,000 dogs a year. In order to keep convenience intact, there has to be some massive outsourcing of that. I think that that's... Both interesting in the way that utterly baffling, really crazy, disturbing facts about the world are interesting. Yeah. But we don't we don't want a high demand, a high effort thing. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of reasons for that. And I'll say I'm one of these people where yeah, you said I'm fine until I'm not. That is me. The questions that I'm asking myself right now is, why do I have so little margin? Why am I so delicate that I can't have very many things go wrong in a day 
and still live my day feeling fine. My life is not very shock resilient, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons that I need to get inconveniences out of the way. Yeah, I thought about this a lot. I don't remember what episode it was, but you just mentioned a while ago about how low your tolerance was for discomfort. Of like when you begin to feel pangs of hunger, the immediate response is to go look in the fridge for something to snack on rather than be okay with some hunger in between mealtimes. Let your body go through a cycle of metabolism. And that I think about all the time when I crack open the fridge and get myself a snack, I'm like, oh, I am so guilty of an incredibly low tolerance of discomfort or inconvenience. Like as soon as the thing that it's meant to help me doesn't work, it's like I, I've been affronted. I, I deserve this thing to work, like my sprinkler system or my lawnmower or my car. And those things in particular seem to have a bad track record of actually doing what they say they're going to do. And the things that it evokes in me is this offense. I feel affronted. I feel helpless because I don't really know how to fix most of those things. It turns out I've been banging my head against the wall on those for a while and the jury is out. Sam does not know how to handle those things. Enter maybe some of the conversation on why we chase after inconvenience is maybe not a bad thing here, right? Like as what you're naming, um, I don't want to fully depart the whole conversation on inconvenience yet, but you can see why when looking at that, it would be easy to try and offer the, oh, well, the solution is press into those things everywhere. Right. (laughs) It would be tempting, but oh my goodness, I've found that to be, let's say, misguided. (laughs) I've had that to be an error. (laughs) I What are some, I think, a couple other features on the flight from inconvenience. I have this experience where solutions to inconvenience feel really good. But I'm also aware that they're not addressing the underlying problem like, why am I so delicate? Plus, Mm -hmm. plus, there's a big plus there. Plus, what in my world actually does need to change that the band-aid of eliminating inconvenience is not addressing Mm. because not all problems are with maturity, everybody. An important thing to say at a fairly regular basis on a podcast that's committed to the formation of maturity. And that's not the only way to fix problems, by the way. Sometimes there's like a situational or a circumstantial thing to address. But I'm borrowing a truck recently to get some mulch, to get some compost. This is a newer truck. Mm -hmm. And it gives you, it vibrates the seat to give you a proximity warning if like traffic has slowed down in front of you and you're not responding. It goes like, and I go, oh my God, oh, but I can feel something in me go, thank God. Now I don't have to pay attention to what's around me ever again. Right. But the car doesn't go, Blaine, stop the car. Are you all right? You seem really tired. Is this the right day to do this errand? Why are you doing this errand at all? Mm. Should you be doing something else? And 
<laughs> Instead, it's like, don't worry. You can be really frazzled. You can be really fried. You can be really sleep deprived. We will keep you alive and manage some of the fallout of that life, manage some of the consequences of that life so that you can keep living it. And I felt this like, oh my gosh, this is just kind of triggering my like more dangerous roads, have fewer accidents that Matthew Crawford talks about in shop classes, soul craft. And uh, there were early, extremely efficient iterations of motorcycles where you had to manually do both gas and oil. And their output was phenomenal. If you could mm. get into the zone and manage uh, oxygen, oil, and gasoline all at the same time, you could get incredible performance out of this machine. It would be this fusion. Uh, but of course, most of the time, people don't want optimal performance. They want to not forget to add oil to their motorcycle. So we make it automatic and then sacrifice the actual performance of that thing. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I feel that in myself with the uh, the butt shaking proximity alert on new trucks and to be like, I'm sure those, I'm sure those have stopped a lot of short-term accidents. Yeah. But I would guess that in the long term, people that sometimes drive butt-shaking trucks get in more <laughs> accidents overall. Right, because what happens when that feature goes out even in the car that you're used to having it exactly. for five years? Exactly, you take your, attention. your friend's car and back right into a lamppost because it doesn't have a backup camera. So a lot of the conveniences that we've created that we're talking about right now are like small-scale conveniences that are meant to make our lives easier. And there's a part of me that sort of goes, are you recognizing to what end? Like there is a, almost like a, a, an ushering through the day of, oh, don't you worry, don't worry. Like your thermostat, it knows you're awake now. It's going to warm up the house. Don't worry. I, I have this in my bathroom. Your heated floors know you're awake now. So they've been warming up. So it, it's not uncomfortable. We're going to make your entry into the day as seamless as possible. You'd set up your coffee pot. So it's, your coffee's ready. It's waiting. And we're going to like usher you out the door quickly so that you can faster get to your computer screen, your job, your desk, and your food's going to be delivered. It's going to show up. We're going to know your preferences. We're going to guide you to the right products. You get the right opinions and, and the right same things online. We basically are ushering you quicklier through things you don't want to encounter to your death. Go rewatch the <laughs> terrible movie, Click, starring Adam Sandler. Like The more that we have trained ourselves and buffer ourselves away from things that we don't like so much, uh, oh, there's a medication for that. Oh, there's a there's pills or narcotics or alcohol or pornography or we, we can we can get you away from places that feel uncomfortable and pad that coffin. Yeah. <laughs> this really hits me in the area of yard work and lawn care, which is a perennial frustration for me. But fortunately, M put her foot down a long time ago on pesticides, herbicides, basically anything that you can buy at Home Depot and was like, if we have a quarter acre to manage, we are going to make it good. Mm -hmm. And 
it is really annoying because I have this massive section, you know, a very large section of just kind of like mulched lot that, unfortunately, Creeping Jenny, a.k.a. Bindweed, a.k.a. You Can't Get Rid of This Stuff, came up in and makes my beautiful curb appeal mulch look like gross negligence. <laughs> and Bindweed does not, you know, I— the one thing that's allowed is I've sprayed some concentrated vinegar on it, did nothing. Uh, hand pulling it, you can't actually get the roots. So it's like when you read about it, it goes, you can fight a years long battle and you can just slowly eliminate, you know, deplete the plant of energy and you can win. And I go, I don't have the time. I don't have the determination. It's not that much of a priority. I don't, I don't like weeding enough to go weed this massive section. And every time I go to Home Depot for something, I'm confronted with like, Here's literally the button where you can take this stuff and you can spray it across and it will all die. And you can do the same. You don't have to get the dandelions out of your yard. You know, we have, you can have a spray across, your grass will live, your dandelions will die. Uh, Doesn't that feel better? But again, to go on the flip side, like as with not wanting dogs that have babies go, is there a flip side of death to this? Yes, there is. Spraying poison around fails a basic survival heuristic. Like, should you surround yourself with poison if you want to live a long time? Probably not. Uh, all cartoon villains know that the best way to get rid of the superhero is to lure them in some kind of toxic environment. And <laughs> the funny thing now is years of doing soil cultivation style stuff, like I don't sprinkle pellet fertilizer. I go get class one compost and like spread that in the grass. Sure. Is M is super stoked. I'm a little annoyed, but I'm getting on board with, we have so many plants in some of the mulch areas, including, we don't just have bindweed. We have all these other varieties of plants and flowers and even mushrooms coming up. And she's like, look at the health of the soil. It's amazing. And it's interesting because, you know, some of my neighbors on the block are sprayers. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. You have eliminated the inconvenience of the lushness of creation. Kind of by killing parts of it. Whereas, you know, if we take soil ecology and its influence on the environment at face value, my my dirty mushroomy <laughs> bindweedy mulch Jeez. is literally saving the world right now. <laughs> oh so you're welcome. I'm sure there's plenty of people who listen who also spray and have beautiful lawns and Blaine isn't trying to attack you. He's naming something about that dichotomy of inconvenience and death is really intriguing to me. Yeah. Trying to like track down what about this are we not liking? What about this are we euthanizing? What about this are we trying to sidestep a natural consequence of? Yeah, and to out myself, I drink coffee instead of sleep more. I, some, I often avoid hard conversations instead of uh, having thriving relationships. Right. There are lots and lots of places in positive and negative ways that I reach for convenient solutions rather than optimal solutions. I'm glad you mentioned the coffee thing because I think some parts of society and maybe even some of the culture around here seemed to want to suggest a solution. Like if if convenience is going to just be 
ushering you more swiftly to a life that's disconnected and passive and speedily approaching your death, then what's the solution? And those like hand-cranked grinders for your coffee beans, I mean, these became so trendy. You couldn't even look at a kinfolk magazine without seeing, I don't know, 400 of these things. And my question became like, do those actually produce a better grind that's more consistent than a machine on your counter? Do they actually produce a better cup of coffee that is more enjoyable? Some people would say yes. Some people would say no. And I wonder if the actual reason for it was this is a thing you are meant to actively engage, slow down, do it with your body, engage it. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if that, I, I haven't seen that written anywhere in any of those magazines because it just had like some sort of sex appeal. But the answer that both the world and the culture offers is stop being disembodied, engage the thing. Like actually slow down enough to press into what it is that you are doing. How present are you to what's happening around you? And by and large, I'd say not very present personally as I'm you know, learning that I, I do tend to skip and, and wait and focus on something that's coming or something that's past. And so this culture of initiation, like, hello, that's our freaking tagline for crying out loud. We we believe there are things you are meant to do daily, seasonally, that are acts of initiation and are building capacities in us. They're building the ability to be a husband and a father and a friend and a man, a king, well. And a lot of those, we do begin with really, really small, really, really tangible things. Build something. Try fixing something yourself. Don't just outsource. Go train for climbing something. Go train for running for something. And we have these like, let's set these at real practical so that we can begin this reshaping of ourselves where we don't flee from inconvenience, we press into it. And as we said earlier in the episode, there is a there's a pendulum here and it can just sw- keep on swinging past what I think, if I can name here, the intention of that is, is to be inviting God into what you're doing in the day. It's to be inviting God and to go, hey, I would ask you, Father, to father me in tuning up my road bike and getting it back out on the road. Meet me in it. Meet me in fixing the car. Meet me in fixing my washing machine. Meet me in my sprinklers. Do you have this for me? Is this the right way to go about it? And I somehow like avoided watching the way that Morgan did it and sort of like blamed him for doing everything himself. But if you actually look at what he he has done over the last few years, he'll he'll seek out experts and have them do it and ask to learn while they're doing it. And I don't know that he actually then takes on the responsibility of being a roofer forever so much as he's engaging even when he outsources, which is something I appreciate. Now, Morgan, I know you don't do it perfectly all the time, so I'm not trying to put you on a pedestal here, but I find that it. I, I started engaging initiation and pressing into inconvenience as like a bla- another black and white issue. Either... I was living in the white and I was doing it myself and 
wasn't outsourcing it. And therefore I had ownership, I had integrity, I had like just all this clay to work with about my initiation. Or I was in the black and I just disconnected and outsourced it and didn't like it and didn't like being inconvenienced and hired somebody and went on with my way. And I, I would say at this point in time, I have been learning that there's ways that I can fail in both of those. When I outsource something and truly am disconnected and not wanting to be inconvenienced, I'm missing an opportunity to learn from it or to have God speak to what's going on beneath the surface there. And when I press into something, that is not a guarantee that I'm doing it with God, that it's going to be an act of initiation, that it's going to be anything beneficial. It could just be a, a catalyst for more anger for more feeling alone and abandoned, for more confirmation of some other narrative that I've been living in, and a bunch of bloody knuckles, as I have learned from basically every time I've replaced a sprinkler head. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Initiation can become the new rule, where we go, convenience is bad. Nope. Nope. Not a thing that we're saying. Mm Mm-hmm. We are interested in the drive. We're interested in it for ourselves. And I don't seek convenience for just one reason all the time. There's a lot going on. And then on the flip side, man, when you value virtue, when you value competency, when you value real things, I can become a kind of tired tyrant Mm-hmm. who has to handle everything himself. Mm-hmm. We should go, we have to return to the motive here. Why do I want to learn to handle or engage more of my world? Because I think that's good. Because I think I will like my life more. Because, because I'm, I'm, I'm scared of it and wanting to press into intimidation. I mean, right. There's uh, a variety of reasons yeah. here. I would say trying to outline... The positive, though, trying to outline the positive picture would be like, because I think that that can be a site of joy with God Mm -hmm. in a way that passivity cannot be. Mm -hmm. Is that my life? Do I always or even often attain that ideal? Yes. (laughs) Wait, you don't? (laughs) The answer oh. is uh, is no. You know, there's sometimes I handle things myself simply because I'm trying to prove the accuser wrong and show the world that Blaine knows how to do things. Blaine is a good steward. But then, I, you know, I love hearing some of the older men in our world who could be paragons who could be ideal examples of handling their world. And they'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. I'm not an expert. I'm barely even a husband, but I can, I'm trying. And this is where I'm growing. And it's like, if someone to roll in and go on a great day, if someone to roll in on the day that I had to take, you know, I was removing the intake manifold from the CRV, it, they... They could easily have been deceived and go, man, Blaine, you are such a deliberate person. I'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not a deliberate craftsman. I'm barely staying on the bucking bull that is my life. 
right now, you've, you've caught me in kind of a good, fun moment where I wanted to do this thing. I had some time to do it. I invited a neighbor to do it. Uh, there was some camaraderie in it. We were kind of hitting the ideal. Uh, but you should watch me tomorrow when the next thing breaks and see whether I spontaneously respond with uh, calm, with confidence, with patience, or whether I get hit in the same place of, oh, again, why is it every day some new thing? And I want, like, there's some mercy here for. Susie and I were just talking about like the grandparents' generation and watching the ways that some of us had grandparents who did seem to have this jack-of-all-trades thing about them. They, the, their world seemed to be simpler and they seemed to be able to press in and engage. And there's an expectation that we would be the same to which I would throw at that like, well, okay, um, have you looked inside the hood of a new car recently versus the car that I, my first car was a 1968 Volkswagen Beetle. And yeah, I mean, it essentially was a Lego. Like it had four pieces and if it was missing one, that was what was broken. And they would go missing because they would rattle out and fall off on the highway. They would do that. Yeah. Vehicles these days, you pop the hood and they've got this wonderful piece of plastic that is bolted in to stop you from going any further. There is a... It's like, welcome to your car. Please don't touch don't anything. Don't touch it. Exactly. There's a, there is a complexity and a culture. and there's a, there's, there's a complexity to our moment, and there's a cultural norm of avoiding this inconvenience that makes it really, really, really hard to press against it and to press into it. It's a different battle than it's been in other generations. And... I love what you're asking here, Blaine, the motive. Like, I think people people could walk in on me as I was wrestling to work on our kitchen. We were replacing our floors a couple years ago. And they'd be like, wow, Sam, he's pressing into this. He's doing it himself. He's got some buddies over to help him. Like, what a great project that he's throwing himself into. And I think if anybody had asked, like, hey, how are you doing internally? I, th- I would have responded, oh, um, I'm this was free, this flooring I'm putting in. And I asked friends because I don't have the money right now to hire anybody. And I'm not feeling initiated or excited. I am panicked and running from there will never be enough. And so I I have to do whatever I can to try and just stretch these ends so that they maybe will touch. And it was like, ooh, okay. So motive and what's going under the surface well, I think Jesus had some opinions about that. <laughs> Maybe being perhaps more important than the action that we take on the outside. Right? Do I want to just be seen as a really competent man? Right. Uh, that's a big one. Uh, the motive being love and the motive being joy. Like, this gets real when I watch Ailish, my daughter, beginning to imprint on the way that I handle problems. There's this great cultural metric It's expressed this way, that the stories you tell point to the things that you value. People in your world will reproduce the stories that you tell. Mm. So do you tell, life is hard, but a man handles it. Right. I'm tempted by that story. 
it's not the one that I want to live. What, and it's not the one that I want my kids to imprint on. I want them to imprint on. When you get to handle challenge with God, it can be really fun. It can be really satisfying. I want my son to know that the masculine life is a wonderful thing to live. And that's not true because by some weird inversion, hard becomes good (laughs) every time. I want him to know it's true because when you engage the world on purpose with God, you can experience something wonderful that your soul was designed to experience. And there is a real difference. And I can think of older guys who fall into either category where there are men who have a lot of fun when they're trying to handle the thing. And there are men who feel really frustrated, but handle it and they do it because that's what a man does. And then they just get back to their world and it's on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. And I watch and go, do you feel more like a son? Did you enjoy that? Or do you feel more self-righteous and therefore less loving and less sympathetic to suffering than you did before today started? Right. Because I'm afraid of that trajectory. Yeah. So if you were to boil this down, we've learned that the road of autopilot and of assumption is probably never safe. And that if I'm automatically fleeing from inconvenience and trying to get things back to comfort, I'm missing something. And if I'm assuming that I'm always meant to take the hard road and always meant to press in and always meant to try and have it be up to me, that that is also a dangerous set of assumptions. And either one is likely to cause damage. And so where we've landed with this whole area is, are you asking the father what you're meant to do in this specific case? Are you asking yourself, what's going on under the surface? What's the motive? What's the fuel that you're putting in the tank? Is it truly, I want to learn from this. I want to grow from this. I want to become more from this. Or is it anger? Is it being an orphan? Is it fear? Is it fleeing from something? And I'm learning imperfectly that my assumptions are usually wrong and that the same scenario may require something else in a different season. So in one season, it might be me fixing my sprinklers. And then the next, it might be hiring somebody, but I meant to engage the person who comes to hire, or I might be forced to engage what's going on below the surface. There's always something to work on. There's always something to address. There's always clay on the wheel, like it or not. The question is, are we willing to engage it on purpose. 